This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. My name is Sue Rocco, and we have a wonderful show for you tonight. My very special guest this evening is India Hicks. And India is an author, designer, and founder of India Hicks Incorporated. And India will be joining me in just a moment. Later in the show, we'll hear from Dr. Mary Ann Ritchie of Jefferson University Hospital for our Health Watch segment, and international speaker Holly Dowling for our Inspiration Watch. Next week, I have an announcement. We will be uh, launching our new legal watch with attorney Carol Weinman, a woman-owned law firm, excuse me, of Weinman Law. And Carol's experience as a mother who has a son with autism led her to become a champion for those battling legal issues uh, around autism. So stay tuned for her very first segment next week. And lastly, be sure to visit us at womentowatch.net to see our lineup of guests and share your thoughts with me on past shows. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. And uh, you can see who we have scheduled through right through the fall right now into September. So now I'd like to welcome to the show India Hicks. Uh, As I mentioned, India is an author, designer, and the founder of India Hicks Incorporated. And she's joining us from her beautiful home in the Bahamas. Welcome to the show, India. Thank you so much for having me. I I so appreciate your taking time out of your very busy schedule, and I want to give a quick shout-out and thank you to Angie Mastronardo, one of your amazing ambassadors here in the U.S., who um, made an introduction for the two of us. Absolutely. That's what's so fantastic about my business is that it is all about connections and women really leaning in, supporting one another um, and trying to make it all work in some way. Right. And, you know, each each one of them with a very individual um, story of their own. Um, You know, India, I in my research and reading about you and, and listening to you speak, I wanted to start off with a quote that I think really um speaks to who you are and and one of the things that's been so inspirational about your life story. You said, and this is uh, on your website, when I make choices that people raise their eyebrows to, I take no notice because although it might not be what is expected of me, everything I've done has felt like the right next move. I love that quote because I think um, we talk a lot on the show about Uh, trying not to get so caught up in all of the things we have to get done in a day and just really um, do the right next thing. Um, My goodness, when you said that quote, I said, when and where did I say that? But it does, I don't doubt for a minute that I said that. Um, I I think um, one of the things that um, 
Yeah, you know, what I'd like to say is, is to sort of, I imagine, talk about where that came from, which is that I, you know, it, it's very easy in life to say I simply don't care what other people think. Um, I, I care greatly, um, especially um, as a mother of five children. I care greatly what they think of me. I care greatly that I'm setting the right example for other women. I care greatly that I'm living by some kind of moral standard and structure. So when I flippantly say I don't care when people roll their eyebrows, uh, their eyes, uh, I I think there are a number of choices I've made in my life that are unexpected. Um, I, I left England uh, and a very, um, a very traditional, uh, blessed life, and I decided to live on a very small island in the Caribbean. And 25 years ago when I moved here, there really was very little infrastructure. There was certainly no, um, no alternative schooling. There was no way you could buy a piece of smoked salmon. There were very few other people who um, had taken the same decision and so when I was pregnant with my first children there were very few women that I could talk to about oh what how should I be feeling and where where what 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 should I be eating and how should I be sleeping and and it was quite it was quite lonely back then and I think that a, a number of people were very surprised by that choice that I had decided to live a life and to raise my children on an island I think, secondly, my choice possibly not to have got married might well have raised a few, um, a few eyebrows. Um, uh, again, you know, I think if you look back now, I have been with the same man. We have all five of those children together. We, we parent five of those children together. Um, and the fact that I don't carry his name does not mean it doesn't lessen my love, respect, um, or adoration for him in any way. Um, and I believe wholeheartedly in the institution of marriage, most certainly. I just didn't think it was right for me at that moment. I may well change and feel that, that at some point I do want to get married to David. But there was, there was at that stage no real desire for me to be anybody other than myself, to change my name in any way, to stand in a, in a church and to say my vows – my commitment to David was sharing my life with him, being beside him every step of that way, and having my children very much carry his name so that people knew that there was a commitment. And, and I think that we have proved certainly that we can have a very, very close, intimate, loving relationship without necessarily having been married. But I love a good wedding. So I do want to say that. <laughs> and, and possibly one other thing that might have made people slightly um, feel that I was taking an alternative route was when, when, when we fostered um, a Bahamian child. Mm -hmm. um, again, that wasn't, that wasn't expected. It wasn't a usual step. Um, we have been very close to Wesley since he was about two, and then his mother tragically died. Um, and so it felt a very natural step that he would come to us. So many of the choices I have made in life have been unexpected. And with unexpectedness, there is always people raising their eyebrows. Yes. Well, and I think, you know, kudos to you for um, being raised in, a, in a, a family where you did do things that were unexpected and you had the confidence to do that. I, I wondered where that confidence came from, and I wondered if you'd take a moment to talk about the relationship you have with your mother, Lady Pamela Mountbatten, and how she may have influenced your adventurous side. You know, it's fascinating thinking about about um, how my mother parented us um, in in the early and very formative years. Uh, she actually was traveling a great deal with my father, who had a global business. He was the dynamic, flamboyant, extraordinary designer David Hicks. He was a very tricky dad. 
Um, my mother was um, having had a remarkable life, um, having been a lady in waiting to the Queen and having sat with Mahatma Gandhi during prayer meetings. By the stage she was having children, she was living a much more quiet life in the countryside, riding, uh, reading. She's a, she's a ferocious reader and uh, sitting with dachshunds on her lap and, and, and walking Labradors for long, long walks in the Cotswolds countryside. She, she was an, an interesting mother in the fact that she was so deeply involved in her books and, and she certainly by no means was a helicopter mom uh, in the fact that when I actually left school, I said, what am I to do now? And she said, oh, goodness, I hadn't thought about it. Um, <laughs> and, and, and yet she is highly intelligent, extremely witty, very even-minded, enormously open-minded, very forward-thinking. And I think just by the examples she has set so quietly, um, I've taken a lot of that on. When I go through airport security and I get myself all hassled and I'm annoyed by somebody telling me where I can put my computer and asking me not so politely to remove my shoes, and there's a lot of hustle and bustle and it just makes me mad, I feel my temperature rising. And then I think, would my mother let herself get annoyed by this? Would my mother be annoyed by the, the way they're treating me? No, she would just glide through graciously. And I have to remind myself, think how your mother would be handling this. Um, so, so that probably is the, best, is the best parenting skill anybody could have, is just quietly letting us see her lead by example. Mm, so, so would you say she um, taught you patience? One of the things I wanted to talk about was the enormous amount of travel that you do. And I think traveling today is incredibly stressful um, and how you manage that. It is. It is. And, and, and the stress isn't just from the travel because, you know, you, you can become a road warrior. I mean, you know, quite literally, you know, I... I, I, I train. I, I literally, uh, I run marathons. I cycle 100-mile bike rides. I do a double class of yoga. I'll take a, a, a two, spin, two spin classes back to back because I fundamentally believe that I need to be in, in very good physical condition to have sustained the four years that I've just done, which is crossing, crisscrossing the country and many time zones internationally in order to build the business that I believe in. So I, I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty physically fit. Um, and I, I would like to think that I'm pretty emotionally fit as well. Um, and that is not me on my own. That is because there's a huge support team behind me. Um, David is enormously supportive of what I'm doing. My children, as I said, are always there and understanding when I can't make the cricket match or I can't be at the school play or yet again, I'm missing something else. They just say, mum's building a business. Um, mm. and, and, and it does take an awful lot um, to 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 sort of handle endless travel, hotel to hotel, packing and unpacking and being on. There's an awful lot of being on, but yeah. you learn how to cope. Yeah. Hold that thought, India. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about the influence your acclaimed designer father had in your design. We'll be right back. You're listening to Women to Watch. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. 
In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. I'm speaking with India Hicks this evening, author, designer, and founder of India Hicks Incorporated. And um, you had mentioned at the top of the show your father, who was the acclaimed designer David Hicks in the 60s and 70s. And one of the things I thought about in your kind of coming back to your own creative roots was what influence, design influence, do you think you see in your own collections, if any, um, that you were inspired by through your dad? Oh, certainly he was, a, he was an inspiration. You cannot possibly grow up under the imposing eye of David Hicks and not have taken something away. I mean, I always say that I'm not formally trained as a designer in any way. I, I, I went to photography school and I took art um, in, in, um, in school and I took a foundation course in art, but, but I'm not an interior decorator by trade and I'm certainly not a product designer. Um, and yet I have my fingers dabbling in all of those areas and that is because I had the most extraordinary education informally through living with my father you know we grew up in these amazing tented rooms of vibrating color schemes and he was very bold and courageous in his design choices I definitely am not Um, I, I tend to decorate in a much more muted color palette and then there are shocks of color here and there but I certainly cannot resist a tablescape. And my father always claims he, he coined that phrase, a tablescape, which mm. is where you would arrange beautiful objects. Um, it can be of a similar texture or color, or it can be a random collection of objects held together uh, by one unique thread. But, um, but it is interesting um, how influencing his, his uh, education in design was on me. And and the the tables that I see, um, you know, that that you have done and continue to do really are just incredibly beautiful. Um, I wondered why you you graduated from the New England School of Photography in Boston in 1990. Why and perhaps you did for a short time pursue photography, but um, is that something that you continue today? Well, I did do it for a while, certainly. And then, and then interestingly, or not interestingly, I fell onto the other side of the camera, um, and, and Ralph Lauren booked me for a modeling job. And I thought, you know what, why don't I do this for a little bit? It's never going to last, because I was already quite old for a model. I was 20, and that is old. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes. So I thought, let, let me do this just now. And, of course, actually, what I found was that I was booked for jobs where I was really – um, I, I, I wasn't a, a sort of a, a very high-end fashion model. I was booked really as the kind of girl next door look. So actually, it, was, it, was, it lasted longer than I thought, that career. So by that stage, it was quite hard to get back into photography, having given it up. But I have to say that I am so lucky to be in the world of the creative arts. So I have just launched a book, another book called A Slice of England. And in it, you'll see definitely influences my father. You'll see some of the products that I designed and that I sell through this incredible network of entrepreneurial women. Um, And you'll see the house that I've just built in England, which is called, uh, confusingly, America Farm. But I have a big attachment to America, so it felt very apt. But in the book, you'll see a lot of tablescaping um, and some of my own photography. And I I certainly love photography. And I think Instagram has been a huge um, 
uh, outlet for me where I'm able to take photographs, upload them, share them, edit them and put them out there um, really as an extension of my lifestyle um, and, and share the world that I'm living through that amazing platform um and and it's really you know made me think again how much i love photography I'll, I'll i'll certainly spend a lot of time thinking about the image and cropping the image and editing the image um some are very some are very um very raw and put up there as literally snaps but some are much more thought through but it has been lovely to have an outlet mm, and i would imagine that all of the traveling that you do and even where you live everywhere you look is a is a photo opportunity it it must well, be it overwhelming I mean, I, I, I am so blessed to have this life between America, the Bahamas, and the UK. Um, and certainly in the Bahamas, you know, it is all about this incredible light. And we have a pink sand beach. And we mm. have, you know, a garden yes. filled with palm fronds. But I have to say, I think, you know, you can see so many artists' work where they're not living in a tropical island. And they're living um, in, a, in, a, in a suburb of, of Manchester. And, and they see the dewdrop on the leaf. Or mm, they see yes. the way the cloud is forming. Or yes. they see the child kicking the football in the street. So I think it really comes down to so much of the eye and the imagination um, and the desire to capture something and just seeing it in in a different way to others are seeing it. Yeah. Um, Can you tell me about the the time you were 17 years old when you drove from England to Italy to meet designer Emilio Pucci? How did that opportunity come about? And and how were you know, were you afraid at that young of an age to do that on your own? Oh, oh goodness, no, no, no. I had, I don't, I, you know, I went to an extraordinary school called Gordonston, which is in the the outer uh, edges of Scotland, and and it's a, it's a, you know, it's a pretty uh, a pretty robust um, education as far as you know, uh, it, you know, freezing cliffs and and an outward bound uh, mentality. Um, so so no, I definitely wasn't scared to drive across Europe. That was the least of it. Um, you know, I I jump off bridges and jump out of aeroplanes and. and <laughs> Goodness, there are other ways of being scared. Um, but no, it was an adventure. Uh, you know, I have a child right now who's going across, um, who's going across Europe in just the same way I did. Um, you need, you need to travel. You need to understand how other nations are living. You need to be educated in, as, a, as, a, as a global citizen, and that's exactly what I was doing there. I had a girlfriend with me, uh, and, and Amelia Pucci was, was a friend of my father's. You know, so, so he said, if you're going to Italy, you must go and see, um, you must go and see the great designer. And his daughter has, has remained a friend of mine. Um, so it was a family connection. Um, but there are other things that are much more terrifying to me. Starting a company, you know, uh, that, was, that was really a, a leap of faith. Um, you know, believing in myself, believing that actually I could inspire women to start their own businesses, um, you know, with us beside them. Uh, but that really we're all entrepreneurs together doing this. Uh, that was much more ter- mm. terrifying. Well, we do, we do have to talk more about that. I, I wanted to mention that um, you have mentioned a, a, a very influential man who said to you, and this is probably one of the moments that spurred your decision, that you can do more. And that struck a chord with you because you had been brought up um, where not many people said that to you, is how you describe it. It was a very un-English thing to say, you can do more. I often ask my guests if there's been one person who has believed in them, because I think that can make a huge difference. And, And Typically, someone outside of the family who, you know, we expect to say, you can do it, uh, you know, you can be and do anything you want. Tell me about the moment that that gentleman said that to you and, and how you felt. Um, 
It was. It, it, it wasn't exactly a moment, but it was a, a series of moments where he, he did keep encouraging me. And, you know, he has been a real mentor to female entrepreneurs. And, and there are many others before me who he, he, he would encourage. And, and I think that's particularly remarkable because the world of business certainly um, is, is heavily endorsed by men. It is difficult even today for a woman to fight her way through and to have a voice at the board table um, and to be respected. Um, and I came from nowhere that was going to earn me any respect whatsoever in the world of business. You know, I, I came from, a, from having been given everything. I'd never had to earn anything for myself. I hadn't had to earn my position in society. I hadn't earned my position in the home. Um, and so, you know, who was I to even think that I could start a business? Um, you know, I had been a, a, a model, for goodness sakes. I hadn't even taken a business degree. And, and he said, you have a story to tell and you have experiences to draw from. And yes, I had had a, a, a career in licensing, which I had hustled for for a number of years. Um, so I knew about grit and determination and passion. But, uh, but it, was, it was quite terrifying, the idea of actually starting a business where someone would take me seriously. Um, and, and, and he was very encouraging that. So it's not only having a mentor or having someone say to you, you know, do this. It's also you believing in you. Um, and, and that I, I was terribly insecure um, four years ago about this. How would people look at me in, in the world of business? How could I be credible? Um, and slowly, slowly, slowly over the years, I, I, I realized, but I, I can see where my strengths and weaknesses are, and I play to them. I am not going to run the back end. I'm not going to understand the Excel spreadsheet. I'm not going to dabble in forecasting. But I am very good um, at, at, at knowing what my collection should look like. Uh, I know that I can inspire women to, to join me. I know that we have a message here. Um, and, and there are parts of my job that I wake up every day, and I love it. I mm -hmm. absolutely love it so you you have to be passionate and you you do have to believe in yourself and and even even when things fail and even when uh, it doesn't go the way you thought and even when you're not able to 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 raise the money you thought or to be able to get the, the, the people in the room that you thought or to get people to listen to you. There are other strengths and weaknesses that you need to look at that, you know, look to your strengths and, and avoid the weaknesses. Um, and I, I think you just come to a place where you can pick yourself up because being an entrepreneur is bloody difficult. Mm, it is. And, and you're, you're such a wonderful lesson for all of your ambassadors. We're going to take another break for our sponsors, India. We'll be right back. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Do you have a financial advisor who you trust that looks at you as more than just a number? At the Foley Hillsley Group, that person is Kristen Hillsley. Kristen's team has a different approach to managing your wealth called the Panorama Process. This unique process helps you obtain your financial goals easily because it's more than just investments, it's about you. 
To learn more, visit their website at fhbaird.com or call 610-238-6636. The Foley-Hilsey Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird & Company, Incorporated Member SIPC. Log on to fhbaird.com to learn more. That's fhbaird.com. So if you need a financial advisor you can trust, call Kristen Hillsley at 610-238-6636. That's 610-238-6636. Thank you for listening to another week of Women to Watch, and I'm speaking with India Hicks, author, designer, and founder of India Hicks Incorporated. You know, India, at the top of the show, you had mentioned your love of weddings. Um, I, too, love weddings. And, of course, all of the buzz the past six months or so has been around the wedding of uh, Meghan Markle and, and Prince Harry, and you were fortunate enough to attend that wedding. Um, as the goddaughter of Prince Charles. Uh, and, and I'll mention you were also bridesmaid at, at his wedding to Princess Diana. What I wanted to know um, after having attended that wedding was, was there something that you saw that may have been a sign of the times um, from Meghan and Prince Harry's wedding uh, within the British monarchy? In other words, you know, the, the wedding between Prince Charles and Diana and the wedding between Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, did you notice something different? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, you know, there were, there were two very different weddings, um, mainly because they're in two different eras, um, but also the, the, the obvious fact that Charles is an heir to the throne. He is the heir apparent. Uh, and, and Harry, uh, you know, now no longer is the direct um, heir after after his brother um, George comes in between. So, so they they were different in in the way that there was pomp and circumstance around Charles and Diana's because of him being a future King of England. And Meghan and Harry had a very different role, and and therefore a slightly more lower key wedding. I think also the 1980s lent itself to all of that incredible drama of the dress and the veil and the, the tiara and the flowers and the ruffles. Um, whereas, of course, now in, in 2018, it's a much more simple, pared-down, elegant look that one can get away with. Um, and I think Meghan really um, epitomized all of that in such an incredible way. Um, it, was, it was a really moving, very, very beautiful, intimate wedding. Mm. In, in, in more of a simple way. Uh, yes. yes. Um, you know, I wanted to mention your time working as a model. Uh, you worked at a time for Ralph Lauren and, and J. Crew, among others. And I wanted to know what that uh, experience working as a model, how did that shape the woman that you are today? You know, I, I, I never took fashion terribly seriously when I was modeling. In fact, I, I virtually disregarded it. Um, I now, I love fashion now, and I love to see what's happening and what's going on out there. You know, when one of my eldest children is trying to launch his own brand, which is incredibly um, interesting to watch and painful to watch. But, you know, what, where he sees and where he draws his inspiration from is extraordinary. You know, the street style and the, the vibe that is going on there for a 20-year-old. But, you know, I, I love to see what's going on. But when I was modeling, for me, it was so much more about the opportunity 
opportunity to travel the world and the opportunity to work with people that I never otherwise would have met. And I love that. So everybody from the guy who drove the lorry to the guy who set up the lights to the catering person and, and to, to get the feeling of working as a team. Uh, and I think that that has stood me in very good stead for not only island life, which can be a little bit strange um, in the fact that you're on an island um, in a small community. And there are times, especially during hurricane season, where you are having to work together as a community. Um, and, and, and certainly now in the job that I have as the founder of a company, um, you know, which is all about teamwork. Um, and so I think the modeling certainly put me on the right path for that. Um, would I encourage my daughter to do it? I don't know. I think it depends on who you are, your strength of character, um, and and your your goals. It's a much more professionally run business now than it was when I was modeling. And I would imagine you have to have a very, you know, thick skin. Um, oh, yeah. In that industry, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the business for a couple of minutes. Um, it is a direct sales company. And I, I know that your mission and, and all of the work that you do is, is to encourage women to start and create uh, the lives that they want. Tell me how, how does it empower the ambassadors who are running their businesses to, to have this kind of uh, a model? We launched, we launched as a lifestyle brand, and, and that means that we came out of the gate with selling uh, handbags and jewelry and fragrance and bath and body, and, and we didn't want sizing, and, but we wanted to tell different stories in different ways. And we knew we wanted to go back into the heart of the home, so selling from the kitchen table or the dining room or outside in the garden, wherever, wherever we could put up a table we wanted to sell. But then we recognized it was more than a trunk show business, that there was this opportunity to align ourselves with other entrepreneurial women who wanted to run a business in their own time and on their own terms. Now, none of it is easy. You know, any, anybody who has a successful business will tell you what it has taken to get there. And it does take a lot of work, quite a bit of ambition, a lot of endless hours. It's not always glamorous. But what I loved most about this opportunity was we were really telling these women, you are entrepreneurial, you are a businesswoman. And I think there comes a stage in a woman's life, particularly when she gets to her late 30s, 40s, 50s, where she's been so good at being a supportive mother or a loving sister or looking after ailing parents that there's a moment where she actually loses sight of herself. Who is she? And when her children grow up and leave for college, there's a moment where she's left alone at home thinking, my goodness, what am I going to do next? Mm, yes. And it's not that she wants to write an, a, a business model. and It's not like she wants to go back to corporate America. And sometimes it's hard for a woman to find her place again. And what I love about my business is we offer them that opportunity. And they can run the business however they want. They can, they can run it because they really want to earn an income. Or they can run it because they want to give back. We have a wonderful giving back program that's called Get Together, Give Together, mm -hmm. where they find a host or they host it themselves. And they give back to any charity of their choice, so whether it's the local library or dog adoption or breast cancer or whatever they want. And I love that. Um, and, and so there are many wonderful aspects of the business, um, but it does allow women to find themselves again, to really work for something. And hopefully at the same time, they get to sell what I'd like to consider as a beautiful collection. Mm. T tell me where you do um, your design work. I, I understand that your headquarters is in California. Um, you have a team of designers in New York, and then of course you live in the Bahamas. Are you 
where are you doing most of your your personal design work? Is would that be at home? Uh, between the two, when I'm at home, I'm speaking to you from my home office right now. I'm on I'm on what we know as Zoom calls, literally from 8:30 in the morning all the way through to probably 7:30 at night. Every half hour, I'm speaking to somebody else from the LA office, whether it's a uh, human resources, whether it's in accounting, or whether we're talking about the designing, or whether we're talking about sales, or whether we're talking about marketing, whether we're talking about social media. So every day, I have very much a very structured working day. Mm. Of course, it's so wonderful when I'm in the LA office and I'm actually there with the team. But it is amazing in this day and age that you can co-found and co-run a company um, from across an ocean. Um, But it is very important that I'm not only with the home office, but I'm also out on the road talking to the ambassadors, understanding how the business is working for them, living and breathing it um, every every single day. Um, But whatever happens, just make sure you're doing it with great passion and Mm. great belief. Yes. Um, We're going to take one last break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about how you motivate your team. You know, what, what is your mantra and and what is it that you say to the people that you work with to keep them excited and uh, and motivated we will be right back do you have a financial advisor who you trust that looks at you as more than just a number at the Foley Hillsley group that person is Kristen Hillsley Kristen's team has a different approach to managing your wealth called the panorama process This unique process helps you obtain your financial goals easily because it's more than just investments, it's about you. To learn more, visit their website at fhbaird.com or call 610-238-6636. The Foley Hilsey Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird & Company, Incorporated Member SIPC. Log on to fhbaird.com to learn more. That's F-H-B-A-I-R-D dot com. So if you need a financial advisor you can trust, call Kristen Hillsley at 610-238-6636. That's 610-238-6636. Sue Rocco here with Women to Watch, and I'm talking this evening with India Hicks, author, designer, and founder of India Hicks Incorporated. By the way, I'm wearing my beautiful gold domino pendant. Uh, with the number two on it for my two beautiful children. I wanted to mention that to you. I'm, I'm hoping you'll you'll be able to come to Philadelphia one day and, and we'll get a picture. Perfect. <laughs> um, so I want to ask you a question. You know, much of this uh, show is about encouraging women to step out and, and not only start their own businesses and, um, you know, kind of create the life they want, but really to be leaders I wanted to know what your personal opinion is on why you think women hesitate. What is it at the at the core that keeps them stuck in a place they don't want to be? Because I think we tend to put ourselves last. I, I think as as especially as mothers and daughters and partners, the the the, the female instinct is is that we will do everything for everybody else, and we will certainly come last on that list. And, and so I think it is hard for us to put up our hand and say, actually, you know, I, I now want to do something for me. And I would imagine, you know, the, we're kind of natural-born caretakers. And um, I think when we talk about the, all of the different barriers around women's leadership, it's such a multitude of reasons, cultural and um, 
you know, policies. And but at the end of the day, it's really about our own personal perspective, I guess. Yes, I think that's right. I mean, I think you know we are we are slowly, slowly breaking barriers. Yes. Um, but it 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 you know it is it is difficult. It is truly difficult. <laughs> you know, for someone who might be listening, India, that is interested in starting their own business, um, whether it's with India Hicks or another direct sales company, can you give a, a bit of advice on you know how to do that successfully? Um. My first bit of advice was don't overthink it. Just just leap in. Um, I don't think any of them are huge financial commitments. Certainly ours isn't. Um, it's it, you can you can you can choose one of our starter kits from four ninety nine to seven ninety nine, um, and four hundred ninety nine dollars you'll have you'll have enough to have. 10 or 15 girlfriends around to look and to shop the collection. And in general, you will make that first investment back fairly quickly. And then it's 12 bucks a month on, a, on, a, on the website that gives you access to a back office that's quite sophisticated and will really do a lot of the managing for you. So there are wonderful, wonderful aspects um, to jumping into a business in this day and age because technology goes hand in hand with it. So, so not overthinking it. And if you find the business isn't for you, then no big deal. No big deal. There's no commitment. There's no contract. There's nothing. You just walk away. Mm. You just walk away. Yeah. Hopefully having made back your four ninety nine, and then just stopping the $12, $12 a month on the, on the website. So that would be my first thing. Don't overthink it. And, and use all of the tools, not only me, but other amazing social selling businesses out there. We call ourselves much more social selling than direct sales. There's a very fine distinction between them. But, but the idea being that there is a lot of support. We, we love to call our leaders mentors. Reach out and ask them questions. Get them to mentor you through. None of us, none of us probably expected to find ourselves selling and social selling. None of us really knew how to work a back office. None of us know how to fill in a tax return. And I think there's an awful lot that we can help one another with going through this. Nobody need ever feel silly about asking these questions. Always ask questions. So I, I think anybody, regardless of whether it's my company or someone else's, that there is a structure in place, use it. Keep asking the questions. Find the support. And I should mention, you know, the business was, uh, the company rather, was just launched in 2015. So, um, you know, it's fairly new. And that's always exciting because there's nothing but growth to come. Correct. There's not. And, and now at the three-year mark, we've got just enough experience to know who we are, how we can correct some of the early mistakes. Right. Uh, you know, we're young. We've made mistakes most, sense, most seriously. But, uh, but we, we now have experience from which to draw from. So it's an incredibly exciting time. And there are just so many opportunities at India Hicks. Um, and, and every day, I'm just very, very thankful that amazing women um, uh, come and work with me. Mm. Well, listen, I so appreciate your time today. It's been such a thrill to talk to you. India, and I thank you for doing this work um, that I know is, is helping so many women around the world. I wish you continued success. Thank you very much indeed. Really appreciate the chat. Women to watch. Holly Dowling is an international keynote speaker and a thought leader who's going to join us every week for our inspirational watch. Holly, welcome to the show. Thank you, Susan. I'm thrilled and ecstatic to be here with you. Terrific. And I love that you're going to be talking about work-life boundaries today as opposed to work-life balance. 
Yes, and let's dive right into it because boundaries are what create the balance. And as human beings, we're always searching and seeking for what creates that work-life balance. So what I want to give you today is the inspiration and empowerment to start setting boundaries, work-life boundaries. And what does that mean? How many of you actually have non-negotiables for yourself? And many people don't. Let's start with that. You want to create the boundaries? It starts with setting parameters and knowing what to say no to. So you can start saying yes where the world can be leveraged by your very best. No one gets the best of you if we are always saying yes to everybody and everything. So start by having some non-negotiables. Put it in place for you. What are you willing to say no to? And let me share a personal example. And this is something I had to put in place a few years ago. I'm all over the place. I'm on the road all the time. I do what I love and I love inspiring people around the world. And I realized I was dying on the inside and losing my passion for life and for what this is about because I was spending so much time traveling on Sundays. And like many of you listening, that's part of your job. You probably have to jump on a plane on a Sunday. Well, I had to start saying no, and I was scared to death. I have to tell you that we build a volcano out of an anthill, and I actually thought I was going to lose clients if I said I will not travel on a Sunday. Here's the beauty and the magic of what happened. Not only did I not lose clients, they said, what time can you be here on Monday? And we're happy to start the event or the meeting then. So you see, by us learning how to have non-negotiables that really create the space for us to keep our priorities right, they were getting the best version of Holly. And the coolest thing that happened by setting my own non-negotiables is it began to have a ripple effect. This global client of mine, they began putting it in place for all their leaders around the world. So you never know the impact that you may have on another person out there, especially as a leader. That's fantastic advice, Holly. I'm so looking forward to having your segment every week to fire us up and give us great reminders and inspiration. We'll see you again next week. Love it. Thank you. I'm joined now by my weekly health watch, Dr. Marianne Ritchie from Jefferson, to talk about coronary brachytherapy. Sue, I'm calling this the achy, breaky heart segment. Fresh blood is pumped from the heart to all parts of the body, including coronary arteries, arteries that feed the heart itself. If these small arteries are blocked with cholesterol plaques, it can lead to a heart attack. For many years, major surgery was done to repair these blockages. Then in the 80s, stents or tiny tubes were used to keep the blockages open. Picture a street filled with snow. A truck comes through, plows the snow to the sides of the street so cars can move. When a coronary artery is blocked, the cardiologist inflates a balloon to open the blockage, then inserts a stent, a tiny tube, so the blood can flow again. Newer stents even deliver medication to keep the artery open. Sometimes scar tissue can cause a new blockage and a second stent is inserted. If it becomes narrow again, many centers suggest surgery. Before you agree to surgery, come to Jefferson to see Dr. Michael Savage for a second opinion. Professor, director of our cardiac catheterization lab, and his colleague, Dr. David Fishman, have a great alternative. They can place a tiny stent which provides brachytherapy, that's a tiny amount of radiation, to open the narrowing instead of surgery. What's great, they do it through an artery in your wrist, not the groin, so much less trauma. And Jefferson is one of only 20 centers in the country to offer this therapy. Call 1-800-JEFF-NOW and reach Dr. Mike Savage or Dr. Dave Fishman. I heart you. Thank you, Dr. Ritchie. Always great information. 
That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thanks so much for joining us today. And what a wonderful discussion with India Hicks. Um, she's an extraordinary woman, and I hope you'll check out her, her beautiful line, um, her lifestyle brand at indiahicks.com. Have a great week, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the real story behind her title right here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.